I don't know what happened to our music. Don't ask. It's 7 o'clock on the West Coast, 10 a.m. on the East Coast of America. Good morning, America. Why am I hearing that noise again? Oh, I know why. Hold on. Let me just, there we go. Okay. Uh, what were we doing? The time. I'm so confused. It's 3 p.m. in London, 7.30 in Mumbai, India, 11 p.m. in Kyoto, Japan, and in Malaysia. I don't know what the hell time it is. I'm Jay Sheldon, and I'm not wearing pants. Oh, you know, I was totally prepared tonight. Complete. I was prepared way before I even went out for dinner. I had the whole show lined up. I had everything in place. Everything was good. And then I hit the go live button and all hell broke loose. <laughs> I, I don't know. It just, it happened that way. I, whatever. <sighs> Unbelievable. I think we better get into a Miko update and get, a, get away from it. Miko update. <laughs> I'm telling you. <sighs> oh, suddenly the music's back. Well, I don't want you now, so go away. All right, there she is on her night stalk. This is out in front of my house with all my bonsai and Japanese lantern in the background. And that is the little girl who is, uh, right now she's in almost the same spot. This was from last night. And uh, yeah, she's she's doing great. Um we ran out of food tonight, so we switched her wet food with something else. I hope she's okay, because you know she has this stomach problem. But anyway, uh, she's great. She refuses to come on the show. I don't know why, but she's got this big attitude thing going on about coming up here and sitting with me in the air chair. So for now, I know it's been a long time since we had Miko on the show, but we'll do our best. At least we've still got her on our mug. And if you would like this, our show, our show logo and Miko on the mug, or a mouse pad, a t-shirt, ball cap, hoodie, uh, whatever. We got all kinds of cool merchandise for the show, and it's all called Miko merch because Miko's on all of it. Uh, just check out the top link in our show notes. Our show notes is the description down below. You'll find that. And uh, check it out. Mm. We are, of course, as usual, live on Facebook, YouTube, Twitch.tv, and Rumble.com. We love you, Rumble. Thank you, and thanks for all the subscriptions we have over there at Rumble. Also, we are a podcast. Our audio portion of the show is stripped out, cleaned up a little bit, and then sent out to the world as a podcast. And we're almost there. We are at 908 downloads average per week yes i knew you could do it thank you like i said i know it ain't joe rogan but for this little show it means the world i'm so humbled we we just checked the numbers uh, earlier today and we're up to uh, just over 900 average downloads per week which is fantastic if you want to help out it's it's for free it doesn't cost you anything just a couple minutes of your time Wherever you get your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, uh, Radio Public, Stitcher, uh, Geo7 in India, uh, Podbean, we're on all of them. Just search in the search bar, put I'm not wearing pants. You'll see that logo. Click on it, click follow or subscribe, whatever you call it on your platform. And uh, that's it. That's all you got to do. We really, really appreciate it. We are in a quest to get to a thousand. If we can get to a thousand, 
my life will almost be complete. <laughs> I'm so humbled. Thank you. I love you all. And uh, we're almost there. Less than 100 to go, and we get there. Yes, thank you. All right, uh, enough of that. I did find something tonight I wanted to share that was not in our show notes, so you'll just have to look for the link if you want. The source is Statista 2022, and I thought this was really cool. The most spoken languages in 2021 by speakers in millions. Number one, English. 1,348 million. Would that be a billion? I don't know. I'm no good at math. Uh, 1,120 million people speaking Mandarin Chinese. Hindi. Now, this one surprised me until I thought about it. 600 million. They are third on the list of the most spoken languages. Hindi. That's incredible. Uh, Spanish, 543 million. Arabic, standard Arabic. Bengali. French, Russian, Portuguese, Uru, Indonesian, Indonesia weighs down way down the list. Standard German, Japanese, Marat, Marathi. I don't even know what Marathi is. And Telugu, Telugu. Wow. The reason it surprised me at first that Hindi was so high was I just didn't think the language was that popular. But that's what happens when you live in Malaysia, and you know. We have a racism problem. <laughs> you know what I mean if you live here. Anyway, when you think about it, think about the population. Now, English is spoken almost universally around the world. It's the official language of business. So it isn't just when you think of English, you think of the U.S. and the U.K., uh, a lot of English-speaking countries. But Chinese and Hindi, which are number two and number three, Think about the populations in those countries. They are massive, massive. So, of course, and you take all of those Mandarin-speaking Chinese people and you add the ones that also speak English, then that adds to the English number. So this is incredible. It's a cool stat. If you want to see the chart itself and you're listening to the podcast, you can go over to our uh, link. Uh, no, I'm sorry, we don't have a link. I, I didn't put it in there because I found it last minute. But um, check it out. It's it, you just search. You'll find it's from Statista, S-T-A-T-I-S-T-A uh, 2022. So very cool. That's uh, from the star graphics. Wow. Some very cool numbers there. And I'm, I'm very surprised. All right. Did I say racist? What I meant to say was racist. Uh <laughs> As you know, we love the world of Buzz on this show because they do such cool stories, and we use a lot of them. We always give them credit. We give a tip of the hat to the world of Buzz, and we encourage you to go check out their links, and uh, you'll find them in the show notes in our description down below. But this is Qingming. It is just past. I think Qingming is just pretty much over. But um, Qingming, as a matter of fact, you know what? Let me do this, I found a great explanation, if you are not Chinese. Uh, Qingming, uh, the Qingming Festival, is a Chinese custom celebrated worldwide by people of many Asian cultures, sometimes called the Tomb Sweeping Day, 
or the Pure Brightness Festival. Uh, Pure Brightness is the English translation, literally, of Qingming. Um, It's an annual event which is designed to remember and honor ancestors, and it also celebrates the warming weather. Uh, It's both reverent and fun. Traditionally, Chinese people will go to the graves of their deceased ancestors. They will clean the graves. They will have a small celebration during Qingming. That has just mostly happened this past weekend. And um, so one of the things that they do is they make burned offerings. No, not the kind you're thinking of. <laughs> if you live in Malaysia, this is quite common, and or any other Asian country with a big Buddhist population. But in some places, it may not be. For example, growing up in the U.S., I'd never heard of Qingming. But um, Malaysians are burning model cars and banks for their deceased ancestors during Qingming. And netizens are amused. In fact, some of the comments are kind of snotty, but, uh, you know, there you go. That's racist Malaysians for you. Not everybody, but some. And those few some seem to get their name plastered all over the news and all over Facebook a lot, much more than they ought to be given credit for. But yeah, the idea is if you burn, for example, a car, then your deceased relative in the afterlife can use the car. Used to be most people would just burn money. It's fake money, ghost money. And they would burn that, and it would be for their relatives to use in the afterlife. But nowadays, people have even gone to burning banks. This picture here is a mock-up of a bank that is burned to send to the relatives. Uh, It is now the season, the article goes on from all the buzz, Qingming, which happens annually. And those who observe the practice will go to their ancestors' cemeteries or tombs to clean them up, pray for them, as a sign of... uh, Philal piety, which means respect, basically. Uh, Singapore and Malaysia, slightly different, oftentimes a very important clan event that should not be missed. Coupled with that, we would always make sure that our ancestors get a lot of paper offerings throughout the years. The offerings have gotten to be very creative. This is a sample. This is an actual mock-up of a bank. Now, it's made out of paper and cardboard, so it easily burns. But this is one of the, look at this. This is, this is cool. An actual, well, mock-up of a bank. The heck was sending money. Send the whole bank. <laughs> Why not? There it is when they've uh, started to light it up, smoking away. Uh, back then, stacks of, oh, hell notes is what they were called, considered the norm. But now people burning whole banks, uh, paper cars that are sized like real cars. You see this car in the back of a truck? That's not a real car. It's a paper car to be burned. Look at the size of Look at this guy. There's a guy down here. Look at that. It's the same size of a normal car. There you go. Now you can tell it's kind of made out of paper. But yeah, it is entertaining to see what people will buy and burn. Some netizens have commented sarcastically about it because, you know, people just can't leave well enough alone and shut the hell up. Just burn the whole earth so your ancestors can own the whole earth. Mm. I burned them some supercomputers so they're able to hack the banks from home. (laughs) A majority of the other netizens believe the best time to show filial piety, 
that's a hard word to say, is not after the family member is dead, but when they're still around and living. It's better to accompany your grandparents, this one netizen wrote, uh, now by taking them, uh, talking to them and making sure they're not lonely than to just burn a bunch of things for them after they pass away. Uh, and it goes on. You can read all the different snotty comments and some supportive comments. Uh, some say this is to make sure their ancestors don't suffer in the afterlife. But with that much hell notes being burned, we wonder just how high is the inflation there in the afterlife? <laughs> Check it out. Cool article from uh, the folks at World of Buzz. We got a lot of their stuff tonight. And uh, we're going to move right into yet another story from the good folks at World of Buzz. Please, we encourage you to check out the link. It's in our show notes. You can go right there to the page and read the whole article because we just feature a few things. But this is great. I've seen videos of these things happening. I've seen little car dash cam, car cams of, of this. And when it does, always, always a round of applause to the people who do this. This is so cool. And I encourage you to do it too. We have an enormous litter bug problem in this country. People just don't give a crap. They throw crap out the windows all the time. And not just a cigarette or a candy wrapper. Whole bags full of garbage. They go tossing out their window. An angry man in KL who apparently had just had enough returns littered rubbish back to the alleged litter bug. You can see how the littering is getting worse because of people like this who just throw crap out the car window as they please. This guy had had enough. Look at this. Look at all the junk on the ground. This all came from this guy? This moron? So anyway, he picks it all up, tosses it back in the car. Yes, we love you. <laughs> Uh, one of these types of people Malaysians are hating on right now are litter bugs, especially considering litter is also clogging up the drain systems, causing flooding. Uh, trends like these in past years seem to be uh, littering streets, people littering from their cars. Uh, people hate vehicle owners who litter from their cars. At this point, they're willing to help out by throwing the trash right back in the car, sometimes in rather forceful ways, although I do have to caution you, you have to be careful about doing that because then it's starting to lean into the area where you don't want to go because you're starting to break the law. Uh, Malaysia's most viral Twitter page took to their profile to share a video showcasing an angry man throwing rubbish into a Myvi after the vehicle owner, believed to be a woman, was allegedly littering the street. Uh, they wrote, please make this viral until authorities take action against the Myvi because if I'm not mistaken, likely... The vehicle tag is probably in this picture, even though it looks like it's been cropped out here. The page also praised the angry man for putting the alleged litter bug in her place. The uncle, this uncle is the best. He must feel relieved to be able to release his anger. Good on you. In the video, the man in the red t-shirt can be seen picking up the rubbish, angrily throwing it through the slightly open window of the Myvi. Uh, the road where the Myvi is uh, is stationary also appeared to be spewed with the woman's... Look at that. Look at that. Are you kidding me? All this crap came out of this idiot's car? Unbelievable. Wow. Well, good on you, netizens. Keep it up and keep doing it. And yo, police, 
If you see this happen, you need to start writing some tickets. People start needing to pay. Unbelievable. Don't do that, please. Get a garbage can for your car. Throw crap out the window. You no respect, seriously. I mean, no respect at all. If nothing else for yourself, unbelievable. All right. Maybe we can time travel to a different time where people actually care. Don't know when that time would be. But it's becoming possible. Nice segue, huh? Leads us right into our next story. You will find it in our show notes tonight. It's from physicsastronomy.com. DARPA-funded scientists accidentally discover the world's first warp bubble. Yes, it opens the door to travel faster than light. This is so cool. You must read this article. It's not one of those heavy-duty science things where it uses big words and it's all confusing. They rather clearly explain, as this physicsastronomy.com often does. They do a good job of making the scientific common man language. For the first time in history, a team of scientists have identified a warp bubble. Fits into the mathematics of the Alcubierre engine to travel faster than light without violating the theory of relativity, Einstein's special. As incredible as it might seem, it is possible. A nanoscopic bubble. The team was working on a different project for DARPA, the Pentagon Advanced Technology Division. They came across this bubble by accident. The original project, still underway, is evaluating the possibility of extracting energy from a phenomenon called a cashmere cavity. It describes the attraction between metallic objects separated by an extremely small distance. According to quantum field theory, there are fluctuations in the quantum vacuum within that distance caused by an imbalance of vibration modes of the metallic elements. I know. A little complicated, but read the article, it explains. The imbalance generates a measurable force that is not gravitational, and it causes the plates to move closer together. Well, it goes on to explain how this discovery accidentally creates a warp bubble. And with practical applications, which will be many years down the road, it is possible that we will be able to travel faster than light. How cool is that? And still stick to Einstein's theory of relativity. Very cool. Again, like I said, read the whole article. It's interesting. It's cool if you're into that whole space time travel thing. This is real science, folks. This is not some theory. This is science. Very cool. All right. Not going to spend a whole lot of time on this, but I just wanted to share one or two. The link to all of the stories, which is from memes.com, is in our show notes tonight. But this was so weird, I had to share it. I had to share this. People revealing their most disturbing B&B horror stories. Now, I got to tell you a little insider baseball. 
The house next to mine, I live in a link house. If you don't know what that is, it's several houses that are linked together. And it's, it's a big place. I've got a, a fairly decent sized house here with a nice lawn, side yard, and uh, plenty of room for us. But, and, and I'm then ends, which is nice, because I've got a, a side yard with, you know, and my neighbor is not that close. But the house on the other side of me is actually linked to my house. I mean, obviously, there's a wall. That's a link house. Look, I know if you live in Malaysia, this is, yeah, duh. But a lot of places don't have these link houses. So I got to explain because my audience is from all different countries around the earth. Anyway, my neighbor right next door to me is actually a B&B place. And he rents it out for one night or two nights or a weekend. And for the most part, 99.9% .9 of the time, the people he rents to are wonderful people. They're all great. They always say hi to Miko and have a, a nice word or two. And they've all been really pleasant. Made some, actually made some new friends uh, from some of the folks who have rented the place next door. But uh, anyway, hopefully none of these stories will show up. Read this article. Like I said, I'm only going to feature one or two of them, but they're weird. Horror stories is a bit of a misnomer. These are more than horror stories. Uh, staying in a and b seems like a lot of fun. I've never, I don't think I've ever actually done that. Uh, but when the perks outweigh those of the hotels, but sometimes B&Bs are not always what they seem. They shared these stories about horrifying experiences staying at B&Bs. A friend and I once stayed at a pretty fancy B&B &B for the night. The lady who owned it was absolutely lovely, but would appear out of nowhere. We'd be sitting alone in a large room with one doorway, and suddenly she was in the room with us. Either this joint had secret doors or something really creepy was going on. She seemed to know things we'd said or done as well. The thing that tripped us out the most was hearing someone trying to open our door during the night. She was super lovely. The building was beautiful, but we were very relieved to check out the next morning. This is really weird. Check this one out. Arrived and entered the house by way of the provided code for the electronic door lock. We'd stopped to pick up some groceries that needed refrigeration, so we carried those in first, which is when I discovered the fridge was still filled with food. Looked around, saw more food, personal items in the kitchen. Called out, nobody answered, so we walked around a bit. Imagine you left your home for the day for work and a stranger just walks in. That's what this place looked like. Uh, hurried back to the car, afraid we were going to get the cops called on us. Called the company, and they reassured us it was the correct house. The owner said he was going to get things cleared up, but apparently that hadn't happened. Seemed like something the company probably should have checked, but, you know. Uh, they said, it's fine, just push things aside. In the process of clearing things away into a large closet, we found half-used bottles of cancer medications and some paperwork that indicated the owner had been being treated for stage 4 cancer. Between these and other paperwork found in the house, we were fairly certain the owner must have passed away and his children 
had the body transported back to where his wife was buried, which was in a northern state. And uh, they guessed they arranged the rent, to rent the place out, and never came back to clear out his belongings. <laughs> Creepy. Anyway, yeah, this just, as you can see from the pictures, it gets more and more weird. Read all these stories. They're very cool. You'll find the link in our show notes tonight, our description down below, whether you're watching on the video or you're listening to the podcast. All of our links are there uh, for the uh, <laughs> for this very strange story from uh, from World of Buzz. Uh, no, sorry, not from World of Buzz. You'll, you'll find it. It's mames.com. I, I got one more, and then we're going to get to our book, okay? I had to share this. My dear friend Lori on Facebook shared this. However, her post was not a public post, and I don't share posts that aren't meant for the public. However, the original post was a public post, and so I was able to find that, and it's from a couple of great folks who run a really cool Facebook page. It's called Erin and Lena, or Linnea. Uh, you'll find their uh, link on our show notes tonight in our description. You can check them out. They have a really cool uh, page over there. But this story, man, it's amazing. You're going to want to probably bookmark this, send it out to your friends, share it on your own Facebook page. Give Aaron and Linnea a like while you're over there. And this is the story. Uh, again, it's, if I sh I'll show you the page, but it's just words on a page, so no need for that. All right. My dad has bees, and today I went to his house and he showed me all the honey he'd gotten from the bees, from the hive. He took the lid off a five-gallon bucket of honey, and on top of the honey were three little bees struggling. They were covered in sticky honey and drowning. I asked him if we could help, and he said he was sure they wouldn't survive. Casualties of honey collection, I suppose. I asked him again if we could at least get them out and kill them quickly. After all, he was the one who taught me to put a suffering animal or bug out of his misery. He finally conceded, scooped the bees out of the bucket, put them in an empty Chobani yogurt container, and put the plastic container outside. Well, because he had disrupted the hive with the earlier honey collection, the bees were flying all over the place outside. So we put the three little bees in the container on a bench and left them there to their fate. Dad called me out a little while later to show me what had happened. These three little bees were surrounded by all of their sisters. All the bees were female. And they were cleaning the sticky, nearly dead bees, helping them to get all the honey off of their bodies. We came back a short time later, and there was only one little bee left in the container, and she was still being tended to by her sisters. When it was time for me to leave, we checked one last time, and all three of the bees had been cleaned off enough to fly away, and the container was empty. Those three little bees lived because they were surrounded by family, and friends who would not give up on them. Family and friends who refused to let them drown in their own stickiness and resolved to help until that last little bee could be set free. Be sisters 
be peers, be teammates. We could all learn a thing or two from the bees. Be kind, always. The author is unknown of that uh, amazing story, but I, uh, I saw that and had to share it tonight because it's, it's really cool. Very nicely, very nicely done. All right, it is time for the final chapter of Mark Twain's The Adventure of Tom Sawyer. Tonight's the last chapter, chapter 35. And not only is tonight the last chapter, but beginning on Saturday night, I am so excited. We will start Winnie the Pooh, my all-time favorite book. And I had a discussion with, uh, with somebody about this uh, right after our last stream, in fact. And she was saying that she loved reading children's books, and as do I. But Winnie the Pooh, while it is a children's book, is more than a children's book. It's an adult's book, too. You will read things in that book that will mean something to you they don't mean to children. You'll get the chance to find out when we start next stream, which is Saturday night, uh, Winnie the Pooh by A.A. Milne, and we will have that coming up. Right now, though, it is time to move over to the final chapter in The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. We always remind you, by the way, before we read this book, that uh, it was written in 1876, and some of the words used in this book were appropriate in 1876. That includes the N-word. Uh, today, obviously, these words are not appropriate. However, we are reading exactly the book the way Mark Twain read it. And that, yes, includes in some cases the N-word and other phrases that are a little disparaging. But uh, again, it was 1876. We're reading what was written. If that offends you, you may want to find something else to do for the next 15 or 20 minutes or so. So having said that, it's chapter 35, the final chapter in The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. The reader may rest satisfied that Tom's and Huck's windfall made a mighty stir in the poor little village of St. Petersburg. So vast a sum, all in actual cash, seemed next to incredible. It was talked about, gloated over, glorified, until the reason of many of the citizens tottered under the strain of unhealthy excitement. Every haunted house in St. Petersburg and the neighboring villages was dissected plank by plank, and its foundations dug up and ransacked for hidden treasure. And not by boys, but men. Pretty grave, unromantic men, too, some of them. Whenever Tom and Huck appeared, they were courted, admired, stared at. The boys were not able to remember that their remarks had possessed weight before, but now their sayings were treasured and repeated. Everything they did seemed somehow to be regarded as remarkable. They had evidently lost the power of doing and saying commonplace things. Moreover, their past history was raked up and discovered to bear marks of 
conspicuous originality. The village paper published biographical sketches of the boys. The widow Douglas put Huck's money out at 6%, and Judge Thatcher did the same with Tom's at Aunt Polly's request. Each lad had an income now. That was simply prodigious. A dollar for every weekday in the year and a half of the Sundays. It was just what the minister got. No, it was what he was promised. He generally couldn't collect it. A dollar and a quarter a week would board, lodge, and school a boy in those simple days, and clothe him and wash him, too, for that matter. Judge Thatcher had conceived a great opinion of Tom. He said that no commonplace boy would ever have got his daughter out of a cave. When Becky told her father in strict confidence how Tom had taken her whipping at school, the judge was visibly moved. When she pleaded grace for the mighty lie which Tom had told in order to shift that whipping from her shoulders to his own, the judge said with a fine outburst that it was a noble, a generous, and a magnanimous lie. A lie that was worthy to hold up its head and march down through history breast to breast with George Washington's lauded truth about the hatchet. Becky thought her father had never looked so tall, so superb, as when he walked the floor and stamped his foot and said that. She went straight off and told Tom about it. Well, Judge Thatcher had hoped to see Tom a great lawyer or a great soldier some day. He said he meant to look into it that Tom should be admitted to the National Military Academy and afterward trained in the best law school in the country in order that he might be ready for either career or both. Huck Finn's wealth, and the fact that he was now under the widow Douglas's protection, introduced him into society. No, dragged him into it, hurled him into it, and his sufferings were almost more than he could bear. The widow's servants kept him clean and neat, combed and brushed, and they bedded him nightly in unsympathetic sheets that had not one little spot or stain in which he could press to his heart and know for a friend. He had to eat with a knife and fork. He had to use napkin, cup, and plate. He had to learn his book. He had to go to church. He had to talk so properly that speech was become insipid in his mouth. Shut him in, bound him, hand and foot. He bravely bore his many miseries three weeks, and then one day turned up missing. For 48 hours, the widow hunted for him everywhere in great distress. The public were profoundly concerned. They searched high and low. They dragged the river for his body. Early the third morning, Tom Sawyer wisely went poking around some old empty hogsheads down behind the refugee, the slaughterhouse, and in one of them, he found him. Huck had slept there. He'd just breakfasted up upon some stolen odds and ends of food and was lying off now in comfort with his pipe. He was unkempt, uncombed, and clad in the same old ruin of rags that had made him picturesque in the days when he was free and happy. Tom routed him out, told him the trouble he'd been causing, and urged him to go home. 
Huck's face lost its tranquil content, took a melancholy cast. He said, Don't talk about it, Tom. I've tried it, and it don't work. It don't work, Tom. It ain't for me. I ain't used to it. The widder done me good and friendly, but I can't stand them ways. She makes me get up at the same time every morning. She makes me wash. They comb me all to thunder. She don't let me sleep in the woodshed. I gotta wear them blame clothes that just smothers me, I tell you, Tom. They don't seem to air any get through them. Somehow they're so rotten nice that I can't sit down or lay down, nor roll around anywheres. I hain't slid on the cellar door for well it appears to be years. I gotta go to church and sweat and sweat. I hate them ornery sermons. I can't catch a fly in there. I can't chaw. I gotta wear shoes all Sunday. The widow eats by a bell. She goes to bed by a bell. She gets up by a bell. Everything's so awful regular, a body can't stand it. Well, everybody does that way, Huck. Tom, it don't make no difference. I ain't everybody. And I can't stand it. It is so awful to be tied up so, and grub comes too easy. I don't take no interest in vittles that way. I, I gotta ask to go fishing. I gotta ask to go swimming. Durned if I hain't gotta ask to do everything. Well, I gotta talk so nice it wasn't no comfort. I gotta go up in the attic and rip out a while every day to get a taste in my mouth or I'd die. The widow wouldn't make me let me smoke. She wouldn't let me yell. She wouldn't let me gape or stretch or scratch before folks. And then with a spasm of special irritation and injury. And Dad, fetch it. She prayed all the time. I never seen such a woman. I had to shove, Tom. I just had to. Besides, that school's going to open, and I had to go to it. Well, I wouldn't stand for that, Tom. Look ahead, Tom. Being rich ain't what it's cracked up to be. It's just worry and worry and sweat and sweat and a-wishing you was dead all the time. Now, these clothes suits me, and this bar suits me, and I ain't ever going to shake them anymore. Tom, I wouldn't ever gotten into this trouble if it hadn't have been for that money. Now, you just take my share of it all along with yourn and give me a ten cent or sometimes. Not many times, because I don't give a darn for a thing. Not many times, though it's tolerable hard to get, and you go off and beg for me with the widow. Ah, oh, Huck, you know I can't do that. Tain't fair. Besides, if you'll try this thing just a little while longer, you'll come to like it. Like it? Yeah, the way I like a hot stove if I was to set on it long enough. No, Tom, I won't be rich. I won't live in them cussed, smothery houses. I like the woods, the river, the hogsheads. I'll stick to them, too. Blame it all just as we got guns in a cave and all just fixed to rob. Hear this dern foolishness come up, spiled it all. Tom saw his opportunity. Look here, Huck. 
being rich ain't going to keep me back from turning a robber. No. Oh, good licks. Are you in real dead word earnest, Tom? Just as dead earnest as I'm sitting here. But, Huck, we can't let you into the gang if you ain't respectable. You know, Huck's joy was quenched. Can't let me in, Tom. Didn't you let me go for a pirate? Yes, but that's different. A robber's much more high-toned than what a pirate is. In most countries, they're awful high up in the nobility, dukes and such. Now, Tom, hain't you always been friendly to me? You wouldn't cheat me out, would you, Tom? You wouldn't do that now, would you, Tom? Huck, I wouldn't want to, and I don't want to. But what would people say? Why, they'd say, humph, Tom Sawyer's gang. Pretty low characters on it. They'd mean you, Huck. You wouldn't like that, and I wouldn't either. Huck was silent for some time, engaged in a mental struggle. Finally, he said, Well, I'll go back to the widow for a month. Tackle it, see if I can come to stand it. If you'll let me belong to the gang, Tom. I'd, Huck, it's a whiz. Come along, old chap, I'll ask the widow to let you up a little, Huck. Will you, Tom? Now, will you? That's good. If she'll let up on some of the roughest things, I smoke private and cuss private and crowd through her bust. When are you going to stomp the gang and turn robbers? Oh, right off. We'll get the boys together and have an initiation tonight, maybe. Have the witch? Have the initiation? What's that? It's to swear to stand by one another and never, ever tell the gang secrets, even if you're chopped all to flinders and kill anybody and all his family that hurts one of the gang. That's gay. That's mighty gay, Tom, I tell you. Well, I bet it is, and all that swearing's got to be done at midnight in the lonesomest, awfulest place you can find. A haunted house is the best, but they're all ripped up now. Well, midnight's good anyway, Tom. Yes, so it is, and, and you've got to swear on a coffin and sign it with blood. Now, that's something like. Why, it's a million times bullier than piratin'. I stick to the winter till I rot, Tom, and if I get to be a regular ripper of robber and everybody talking about it, I reckon she'll be proud she snaked me in out of the wet. And this last part is called The Conclusion. So endeth this chronicle, it being strictly a history of a boy it must stop here. It couldn't go much further without becoming the history of a man. When one writes a novel about grown people, he knows exactly where to stop. That is, with a marriage. But when he writes of juveniles, he must stop where he best can. Most of the characters that perform in this book still live and are prosperous and happy. Someday it may seem worthwhile to take up the story of the younger ones again and see what sort of men and women they turned out to be. Therefore, it will be wisest not to reveal any part 
of that part of their lives at present. And that's it. From 1876 by the amazing Mark Twain, The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. Wow. <coughs> Hell of a book. That was great. A long book for sure, but uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Very, very cool. All right. And that leads us into encouraging you to join us on Saturday night. We'll have our usual show with all the weird stuff we share and the stories we talk about and whatever little mini controversy we can get ourselves involved in. But at the end of that Saturday night show, we will begin our next book. And I couldn't be more excited. It is Winnie the Pooh. Been waiting a long time to read this one. <laughs> All right, gang, thanks so much. Please don't forget, if you have a moment, just a minute or two, if you're watching the video, go to our podcast, whatever, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Radio Public, Google Podcasts, we're on all the platforms. Type in the search bar, I'm not wearing pants, or Jay Sheldon. Look for this logo and click, click on it, click on the show, click follow or subscribe. We are well over 900 average weekly downloads on our goal of getting to 1,000. We're less than 100 away. And thank you so much for all those of you who have done that. I really appreciate it. For those listening on the podcast, thank you especially. Uh, we love you much. All right. That's going to do it for this one. I will see you Saturday night for all the fun and Winnie the Pooh. Until then, I'm Jay Sheldon, and I'm not wearing pants. Good night. <laughs> Snort. <laughs>